We're talking about knowing God. We're starting to walk through the Old Testament, and we're looking for God's character. We're looking to seek to understand who is God, and to understand Him. And as He reveals His character and His heart and His mind, to delight in that, and to understand Him, and to become one with Him, to, to experience and exercise knowing God in His heart, in His mind, in His passion, in His conviction, in His tenderness, and then to share that with others, to reflect that God to uh, our world in desperate, desperate need to really know the true God of the Scriptures. So um, last week, uh, Eli opened up with Genesis about 1 through 4, and we saw an amazing creation in Genesis 1 and 2. We see this incredibly powerful creator and this beautiful uh, creation uh, in complete oneness, complete unity, harmony, um, and a, a description of, of the culmination of uh, Adam and Eve. And there was so much innocence and purity and oneness with God, with Man in creation, it says that Adam and Eve were naked and felt no shame. They were naked and unashamed. There was no sin, no guilt, no darkness. And it was so beautiful, amen? And then we have Genesis 3. And we see inserted into this the choice of humans to turn from God and no longer be God's creation but to be, I'm going to be my own creation. I'm going to go my way instead of going God's way. And that's a way to describe sin. We say, we reject, as God's creation, we reject the authority of the Creator and no longer live in harmony and oneness. And we say, you're going that way, that's fine for you, but I want to go this way. And there's division and there's guilt and there's shame, and we immediately look, Adam and Eve immediately look to cover themselves and to hide from God and to go the other direction. And then we see that progression of sin in chapter 4 with Cain and Abel and um, Cain uh, being angry and jealous and killing Abel. And then we go on to chapter 5 in the descendants of Adam going through ten generations and then we get to chapter 6. And so what today we're going to do is we're going to, we're going to study chapter 6 through 9. And we're going to think about and study the flood narrative or the, the story of the flood. Now all of us have heard of Noah and the flood. But let me tell you something. Noah and the flood is not really about two by two and how big the ark is and how deep the water was. It's about God. It's about God revealing himself in and what we have, a, what we, for the first time, we have a question. So sin has progressed, and it's gotten worse, and it's gotten worse, and it's gotten worse. And so now we're going to say, what is God going to do in reaction and response to our human nature? In the story of the flood, here's our thesis for today. The story of the flood reveals to us a deeply personal God experiencing pain, sorrow, anger, and judgment in response to human 
sinfulness. And yet, in the middle of that, in the middle of just judgment and death, God's mercy provided a way to newness of life. God's mercy, undeserved and unwarranted, provided a way to newness of life. So we're going to seek to understand this about God, experience it, and figure out how to reflect that, how to apply that and reflect that in our lives. Amen? Okay, so Genesis chapter 6. Let's read here in verse 1. So this is 10 generations after Adam. So about, you know, about 200 years or so. It says, Now it came about when men began to multiply in the face of the land, and daughters were born to them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men were beautiful, and they took wives for themselves, whomever they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit shall not strive with man forever. Because he also is flesh, nevertheless his days will be 120 years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and also afterward when the sons of God came into the daughters of men, and they bore children to them. Those, who, those were the mighty men who were of old men of renown. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Let's skip down to verse 11. It says, Now the earth was corrupt in the sight of God, and the earth was filled with violence. God looked on the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And I want to read chapter 7, verse 1. It says, Then the Lord said to Noah, Enter the ark, you and all your household, for you alone I have seen to be righteous before me in this time. The first point is the grief of God. Our second point is going to be the judgment and wrath of God. And the third point is the mercy of God. Let's talk about the grief of God, okay? Um, I want us to turn our Bibles over to Hosea chapter 11. You know, we see the progression of sin, and one of the best ways to just describe sin is what's described. The men, they saw, they wanted, and they took, okay? They saw women were beautiful, they wanted the women, and they took. It says whoever they chose. So the sense of purity and oneness in the sanctity of marriage, these types of things. It was just like completely gone out the window. I see, I want, and I take, and I have nothing stopping me. And that's what, that's what sin is, okay? I see, I want, I take. Now, it can be in the realms of lust and that sort of thing, or it can be um, uh, uh, attention or greed. It's I see money, I want money, I take money, okay? Uh, it can be whatever, but that basically is... I see alcohol, I want alcohol, I take alcohol, and I take lots of it. And what just happens? So when we take that, there's some sort of hit of pleasure or whatnot. And then what happens? 
does the nature of sin make it say, okay, so I see, I want, I take, and I'm good, and I'm fulfilled, and I'm completely happy and satisfied and content, and I just won't do that anymore? Is that how sin works? And remember, sin is, is uh, um, it says it, it, it desires to have you, okay? It's crouching at your door. So sin becomes alive. It's like a, it's like a force in, it, in of itself, and it's crouching, and it wants to have you. So you take drink, alcohol, you want, you take, and you, you see you want, and you take, and then it has an effect on you, and then the next day you see more, and you want more, and you take more. It progresses. That's my point. It progresses. And so over 200 years, it progressed, and it progressed, and it progressed to, it wasn't like a mixture of good and evil. It wasn't like good day, bad day. Good intention, bad intention. Ooh, bad just kind of overtook. It was only evil all the time. You know, in our, our, our era, we, or our, right around here, we, we've seen and experienced and kind of walked through evil with uh, Jamie Kloss situation. Horrible tragedy, right? And there's not any one of us that would think, oh, that's really not that bad. We think so wrong, evil, right? Murder, kidnapping, horrible, unspeakable things done to this girl. And uh, if you think of what if all of society, all over the earth, was only that all the time, that's where things were at. Does that make sense? Okay, so how does this, the question is, how does this affect God? How does this affect God? How does he feel? What is he going to do about this? He, there's a few choices. God can just be removed from his creation and detached. Removed and detached emotionally. And he says, I don't care. And a lot of people believe in it. It's called theism. It's like a watchmaker God. Like God sets it in motion, and then he, and he runs it, and he, okay, just deal with yourself. I'm going over here where it's not messy. Okay, or he could be just removed and very angry, very angry. Or we see something else. He could not be removed at all, actually, but intimately connected with his creation. There's insight into this in Hosea. Which one do you think it is, by the way? Which one do you think it is? I think it's intimate connection. That's right. Let's look in Hosea chapter 11. And we're going to show a little video so you can get that ready. Um, Hosea chapter 11, verse 1 says, When Israel was a youth, I loved him. And out of Egypt I called my son. The more they called, they being the prophets, called them, the more they went from them. They kept sacrificing to the, to the Baals and burning incense to idols. Yet it is I who taught Ephraim to walk. I took them in my arms, but they did not know that I healed them. I led them with cords of a man, with bonds of love. And I became to them as one who lifts the yoke from their jaws. And I bent down and fed them. That yoke from them is just not a very good translation. It's like one who lifts them up and brings them to his cheek. They will not return 
to the land of Egypt, but Assyria, he will be their king because they refuse to return to me. The sword will whirl against their cities and will demolish their gate bars and consume them because of their counsels. So my people are bent. Their people are just bent on turning from me. Though they call them to the one on high, none at all exalts him. How can I give you up, O Ephraim? How can I surrender you, O Israel? How can I make you like Adma? How can I treat you like Zebuim? My heart is turned over within me. My heart is turned over with me. All my compassions are kindled. I will not execute my fierce anger. I will not destroy Ephraim again, for I am God and not man, the Holy One in your midst. And I will not come in wrath. They will walk after the Lord. He will roar like a lion. I I just end in verse 9, sorry. Okay, so God is communicating later on here this same heart of compassion toward his people. And this Hosea was a book uh, warning the Israelites right before they went into exile. So right before this judgment was about to come, it was King Jeroboam, and Hosea is trying to warn them. And remember what, what God had Hosea do to, to make Hosea feel what he would feel just a little bit. God had Hosea marry Gomer. But Gomer was a prostitute. God said, go marry Gomer. It's like, wait a second. I said, yeah, but she's a prostitute. She'll be unfaithful. Yeah. Now you'll know a little bit what I feel. And then Gomer was unfaithful. But then what did God say to, 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 to Hosea? Go and purchase her. Your wife, go purchase her so you can have her back. But that's so painful that she doesn't love, she doesn't want me. I know. How does that feel? And so he did, and she, she was unfaithful again. And so God is putting this prophet through the ringer so he would understand, this is what I feel when my people aren't faithful to me. I want them. I love them. I've raised them. I've rescued them. And they just keep turning And it breaks God's heart. And it's important for us to understand that God is not just somewhere out there managing things as this robot. He's so personal. Personal. He's, Jesus taught the disciples to pray, Father, Father. Yahweh is our Father. And Father and Child is one of the most intimate relationships you know, um, I love this picture of, I, I taught Ephraim to walk. And so I thought I sent a text out to some of our young families with little kids. And I wanted to show you this picture. Uh, this is the, the, uh, the Hanadels, uh, Evie and, and Zaya, who are learning to walk. Or one of the two, Corey, Corey chose. But if we could just play, they're like 30 seconds. So go ahead and play those. Ah. Ah. So, the Moray Eel, and just to hit those teams in the door, they are pretty 
I think that's it. Is that it? Yeah. Isn't that just beautiful? I mean, if you have a kid, you probably remember those times. And they just they fall down, you know, and you pick them back up. Your heart is just overflowing. That's God. For his people. So let's go back to Genesis 6. And let's see what, de- what it describes in Genesis chapter 6. So every one of those little kids is like God in, in the people, is God's child. And, but just then think of what if those two little girls someday grew up to kill one another? The violence. What would it do to the father, the mother, right? The pain. If it was only evil toward one another, only evil, violence all, the, all over the place, only evil all the time. So listen to this in verse 6. This shows so much about God. It says, The Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. Now, I'm going to get a little, a li- just a little technical for a minute. There's various versions about the Lord regretted, and that's, that's kind of hard, hard to deal with, Right? So God made man, and then he was, oh, I shouldn't have done that. Okay, as a human, that's like, ouch, <laughs> right? So, and it's really not, uh, uh, it's, it's, that's, that's kind of a bad translation. The wording here is difficult. Um, it's, a, it's a combination of repent and deep sorrow. So they take the repent part as far as turning, like God repented, like he messed up and he repented. We know that's not true about God, okay? So it can't mean that. All right, and I talked to some of my Hebrew, you know, teacher gurus, and there's like actually that word is incredible, and it means deep, deep, deep pain. Deep pain. And I think if what would happen if my my blessed children were to somehow rise up and hate each other? I don't know if there's a deeper pain. And so it says that God was grieved. God was grieved. I want to read this um, from, uh, from Brugman. Uh, he describes this in a beautiful way. He says in our discussion, chapter 1, uh, we have seen that God's creative power was not coercive and authoritarian. Rather, it is invitational and permit-granting. While God wills creation to be turned toward him, he does not commandeer it. So in this narrative, bringing the world to trust and obedience is not done by God's fiat. Rather, it is done by the anguish and grief of God who enters into the pain and fracture of the world. The world is brought to the rule of God, but only by the pathos and vulnerability of the Creator. The story is not about the world assaulted and a God who stands remote. It is about the hurt God is about the hurt God endures because of and for the sake of his wayward creation. The new creation is wrought with the same costly engagement and waiting as its first creation. So God does not stand remote detached, and he doesn't just stand remote in anger. 
he joins with his creation and experiences the pain, the deep sorrow as a father over his children. Heart to heart, God's heart ripped in mixture of sadness, loss, pain, and anger. And we know that God is slow to anger. We know that from elsewhere. A lot of times we don't like to deal with an angry God, right? But that's a false God we've made up. God does get angry. God has an emotional reaction to what humans do because he's invested, all right? Now, he's slow to anger, and he doesn't outburst in a fit of rage, a sinful fit of rage, right? We know that. Yet, that doesn't mean that God doesn't get angry, right? And we see him often holding himself back from anger, but we see when the, when the Israelites popped out the golden calf, right? And Aaron's like, I don't know, just I threw in the gold and just popped out. We'll get into that more in Exodus. God was like, I'm done. I'm so angry right now. And Moses is like, whoa, 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 and, and just communicated with God. And God's like, okay, okay. And then when Moses got down, he was like, I'm done, <laughs> right? Okay, so God's like, mm-hmm, now you know how I feel, bro. Okay, I don't know, I don't call him bro, son, whatever, friend. This is what he called him, his friend. Okay, our sin grieves God. Your sin is not a no big deal. Oh, don't worry, it's no big deal. Oh, it's common to man. It is common to man. That doesn't make it not a big deal. Sin grieves God. It's not because he's just angry and frustrated, because he so loves you. Okay? And so the judgment and wrath comes from a heart of grieving. A heart of grieving. Okay, so let's read on. We're going to talk about judgment, the judgment and wrath of God this morning. It's like, did I really come to a church where, we're going to go, where he's going to go all hellfire and brimstone on us? Did I really come to that? Listen, you did come to a church where we're going to really go where the scriptures take us. Okay, and if the scriptures take us there, then we're going there. And if the world don't like it, the world can go to hell in a handbasket. Okay? We're going to stay true to the word and through that be a light. Amen? And the world's going to be like, finally, a place that's actually honest with the condition of humanity instead of all soft, like, what do you call it? Kid glove it. Let's just read. What happens? What does God do? Verse 7. The Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, from man to animals to creeping things and to birds of the sky. For I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Let's look down in verse 17. Behold, I, even I, am bringing the flood of water upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which is the breath of life. From under heaven, everything that is on the earth shall perish. Chapter 7, verse 1. Then the Lord said to Noah, Enter the ark, and you and all your household, before you alone I have seen to be righteous before me in this time. You shall take with you every clean animal by sevens, a male and his female, and all the animals that are not clean, two and a male and his female, all the birds of the sky by sevens, male and female, to keep offspring alive. 
in the face of all the earth. For after seven more days, I will send rain on the earth 40 days and 40 nights. And I will blot out from the face of the land every living thing that I have made. Noah did according to all that the Lord had commanded him. Good choice, Noah. Now Noah was 600 years old when the flood of water came upon the earth. When Noah and his sons and his wife and his sons with him entered the ark because of the water of the flood, of clean animals and animals that are not clean and birds and everything that creeps on the ground, there went into the ark to, ark to Noah by twos, male and female, as God had commanded Noah. It came about after seven days that the water of the flood came upon the earth. In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the 17th day of the month, on the same day, all the fountains of the great deep burst open, and the floodgates of the sky were opened. The rain fell upon the earth for 40 days and 40 nights. On the very same day, Noah and Shem and Ham and Japheth, the sons of Noah and Noah's wife and the three wives of his sons with him, entered the ark. They and every beast after its kind and all the cattle after their kind and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth after its kind and every bird after its kind, all sorts of birds. So they went into the ark to Noah by twos of all flesh in which there was the breath of life. Those that entered, male and female of all flesh, entered as God had commanded him, and the Lord closed it behind him. Then the flood came upon the earth for forty days, and the water increased and lifted up the ark, so that it rose above the earth. The water prevailed and increased greatly upon the earth, and the ark floated on the surface of the water. The water prevailed more and more upon the earth, so that all the high mountains everywhere under the heavens were covered. The water prevailed fifteen cubits Higher in the mountains were covered. All flesh that moved on the earth perished. Birds and cattle and beasts and every swarming thing that swarms upon the earth and all mankind of all that was on the dry land, all in whose nostrils was the breath of the spirit of life, died. Thus he blotted out every living thing that was upon the face of the land. From man to animals to creeping things and to birds of the sky, and they were blotted out from the earth, and only Noah was left, together with those that were with him in the ark. The water prevailed upon the earth 150 days. The judgment and wrath of God. God looked for righteousness. He looked for anyone that would, that would not do violence, that would do what was right. And he looked, and he searched, and he taught, and he says, I will not strive with man forever, which means he strove with man. He tried. He, he worked. He gave man conscience. He gave man consequences. He gave man all kinds of things. He was slow to anger for 200 years. And finally he said, I'm done. I'm done. I will not strive with man forever. In judgment, it's time for judgment. You know, we don't like judgment. We don't like wrath. But there's a reality we got to deal with. Say, well, that's just, that's just, you know, that was before King David came, because David knew of the love of God and the mercy of God. Let's read here in Psalm chapter 36. Psalm 36 in verse 1 it says, "Transgression speaks to the ungodly within his heart. There is no fear of God before his eyes, for it flatters him in his own eyes concerning the discovery of his iniquity." And the hatred of it. So in other words, he knows he's sinned, but he just wants more instead of hating and repenting the sin. The words of his mouth are wickedness and deceit. He has ceased to be wise and to do good. 
He plans wickedness upon his bed. He sets himself on a path that is not good. He does not despise evil. Your loving kindness, O Lord, extends to the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the skies. Your righteousness is like the mountains of God. Your judgments are like a great deep. O Lord, you preserve man and beast. How precious is your loving kindness, O God. And the children of men take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They drink their full of the abundance of your house. And you give them to drink of the river of your delights. For with you is the fountain of life. In your light we see light. What we see here is God being just and being merciful at the same time. But until we get the justice and wrath of God, we don't appreciate the mercy of God. Well, that's just the Old Testament. That's just the Old Testament. Jesus was never that way. What was Jesus doing when he entered into the temple and created a cord, a whip of cord strands under control, not in an anger fit of rage, and he went into the temple, flipped the tables over, says, get these out of here, and drove them out. That was judgment and wrath of God. That's the same Jesus who died for those same people. Amen? Okay? And that's the same Jesus who said to the Pharisees, you brood of vipers, woe to you. See, if you think Jesus all, is all soft and cuddly and warm, you just don't know Jesus from the Scriptures. You know our invention of Jesus the way we like him to be so we can get away with all kinds of evil and just claim his death, burial, and resurrection so we don't have to pay the price. Not true, not real, okay? Well, that's just still Old Covenant. What about Paul? What about the New Covenant? There's no judgment and wrath in the New Covenant. Let's read Romans chapter 2. The reason I'm having to do this is because these are the things that I think, right? These are the things that society tells. These are even the things that church tells us. But let's go back to the Bible to find out, well, what does the Scriptures actually say? Romans 2, 1 through 11. It says, Therefore you have no excuse, every one of you who passes judgment, for in that which you judge another you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same things. And we know that the judgment of God rightly falls upon those who practice such things. But do you suppose this, O man, when you pass judgment on those who practice such things and do the same yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you think lightly of the riches of His kindness and tolerance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? But because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. Hey guys, this isn't from the Old Testament law. This is from the New Testament, the most kind, gracious, merciful letter ever written in the history of man, Romans, the judgment and wrath of God to come. It says, where was I? Verse 6, who will re render to each person according to his deeds, to those who by perseverance and doing good seek for glory and honor and immortality, eternal life, but to those who are selfishly ambitious and do not obey the truth, but obey unright. You're obeying either the truth or unrighteousness, one or the other. Wrath and indignation. There will be tribulation and distress for every soul of man who does evil. Of the Jew first and also the Greek, no one getting out of it, but glory and honor and peace to everyone who does good, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for there is no partiality with God. You think all oh, this is just judgment talk. It's just too harsh. Really? 
would we really like a world with no judgment? There's no justice system. There's no courts. There's nothing that will be done to James Patterson. He'll just get, he'll get away with it and he'll go do it more. Progression of sin. Nothing to be done with Hitler and, the, and the, the, nothing to be done with the Pol Pot regime who just killed thousands and thousands and thousands of innocent people. Nothing. We don't want, do we really want no justice? I don't think we do. Right? We get in a fight with our wife. Right? What do we want? Justice. <laughs> or husband. Especially them. God is judge. Does he do unjust judgment? No, he does just judgment. And then we want, well, I want judgment on others. Yeah, that sounds good. Judge Hitler. Judge the murderers. But we don't want judgment on ourselves. Because why? Well, because I'm a good person. I think we all have good in us, amen? Because we are created in the image of God. Amen and amen. But we got another side to us. In all of us good people out here, what if right this instant, God who knows everything just translated from your heart, the thoughts of your mind, the thoughts of your heart, the intentions of your heart that you're not all the way in touch with, just transferred it real quick, zoom, right up there. And everyone can see the secrets, the things that you've even kept from yourself. Who of us would still say, I'm good and let everyone else be judged? Not me. Not me. I'm, I'm, I'm running out that door to the mercy of God. Amen? Okay. Remember, you say, we're, we're not the judge. We are not the judge of God's character. He's the judge of us, lest we forget who started all this and who didn't. Amen? Okay. I remember as a little boy, I, I'm, I was not happy about this at the time, but I'm actually happy now. I had some amazing parents, amazing parents. And um, I, I still remember, it's one of my first memories of my life. I liked butterscotch candies. You with me there? You know the ones that have kind of that yellowish orange type wrapping? Yeah? I mean, literally right now, my mouth is starting to water, Okay. <laughs> Um, anybody got one of those on them, by the way? Because I see, I want, and I take. Okay. But that's, but I did. I was in the grocery store. It was, it was Red Owl on Main Street. Okay. And I remember, and they remember the, the Brock's candy, the, the Brock's, candy, and it was all just out in the open. And I don't know, I was maybe three or four, I don't remember, five, six, I don't know, 18? I don't know, a little before that. Uh, and I walked by, and I saw the candy, and I was like, what do you think I did? I saw, I wanted, but before I took, what did I do? Didn't see no one. No one. Ate it real quick. And I don't know how this happened. I don't even know. That's one thing I forgot. But I got caught. Maybe my mom saw the wrapper in my pocket or something. And then it was the question. Where is your brother? 
No, it wasn't. I was kidding. It was, it was, um, what's that rapper? And uh, uh, probably a butterscotch thing. Well, why is it empty? Did you eat it? <laughs> Finally, somehow I came to confession. And there was, and she said, you're coming with me. And she grabbed my little hand. You're so mean. Where's that sweet little mama? Boy, grab my hand up to the owner. It's like, wouldn't a clerk do enough? No, the owner of the grocery store. And he's like, my son has something to say to you. No, I don't. <laughs> I stole some candy. I'm sorry. And I'll pay it back. And back then they were like a penny, right? They were like little five cents. I'll pay it back. And I paid it back. My mom made me pay it back. Now, I didn't have much income then. <laughs> so somehow she provided the means, but I paid it back. And something, that's some good parenting right there. Um, there's justice. And similar things have happened with my own children. But we got to have, there's justice and there's learning. And that's right. That's right, and that's fair, and that's good, and it's who God is. But in the midst of the judgment and the wrath, God also provided a way out. And that's, this is what we'll end with, and we'll take communion. The mercy of God. So in the middle of his heartbreak, he didn't detach and remove himself. In the middle of his judgment, in the middle of his wrath, it says in chapter 6, go back to Genesis we're going to read chapter 6, verse 8. Yeah. Sorry, that was Exodus. I was like, that's really weird looking. Wrong book. It says, um, but Noah, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. These are the records of the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man and blameless in his time. Noah walked with God. Noah became the father of his three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Let's skip down to verse 13, chapter 6. Then God said to Noah, the end of all flesh. I think we've read this. No, anyways, I'm just going to summarize for the sake of time. Noah, you're righteous. You obey me. Make for yourself an ark. Verse 14, make for yourself an ark of gopher wood. The word ark is the same word that's used for the, the basket that Moses was put into and found. Make an ark. God makes, in his mercy, he makes a way to escape the judgment and the wrath for those who are interested, for those who will obey. Amen? Uh, Noah, it says, of Noah he was righteous. He was blameless. And he walked with God. That doesn't mean he was perfect. We make, God makes sure that we know that Noah's sinful by the end of the story. In chapter 9 or 10, right in there, okay? But he was blameless. It means his heart was soft. He was convicted. When he sinned, he repented. He got cut. Okay? He was righteous. He walked with God. Of all, 
all the generations between Adam and Noah, there's 10 of them, everyone says they lived, they died, they had a kid, moved on. Everyone, it's the same pattern, except for one. You want to know who that is? Enoch. And what's it say different about Enoch? It says he walked with God. He walked with God, just like Noah walked with God. What did, it, what did this result in? What did this righteousness and blameless and walking with God result in? It says, chapter 6, verse 22, Noah did according to all that God had commanded him, so he did. A lot of times we think of righteousness in this day and age as good feelings towards God, spiritual church attendance, that sort of thing. No, what righteousness is, is you do what the Bible says to do. That's where the rubber meets the road. It's not about your intentions. So this past week, I'm snow blowing my driveway, right? And it's about 80,000 below, and this is the 18th time I did it, right? Are you with me there? And here I am, I got a snowblower and I'm whining, okay? Um, so woe is me. And so I'm out there and then I see my neighbor get out and at this point I have a decision. My hands are frostbitten. I got 18 more driveways to do, but what do I got to do? I'm either going to love my neighbor or I'm just going to turn the other way. And grudgingly and kind of a bit of a... I went and snowblowed his driveway. Amen? Okay. Are we loving, are we obeying the commands of God, or are we just going our own way? Chapter 7, verse 5 says, Noah did all, did according to all that the Lord had commanded him. Chapter 9, verse 1, God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. If we go against God, there's a curse coming. If we go with God, there's a blessing coming. Now, God's not a formula. Don't treat him like a blessing cash machine. And yet... If you make a consistent habit of obeying God and walking with God versus going against God, your life's going to go better and your eternity's going to go a lot better. Amen? Amen? Okay. Let's close up this with 1 Peter chapter 3. Peter uses the flood in the ark to illustrate New, new Test, New Covenant baptism. In 1 Peter 3, so what's the ark? The ark represents... Noah and the ark, it all just represents Jesus. We know now, as we look through Jesus to the history, that this is pointing toward Jesus and into a new covenant promise. And what's that promise? 1 Peter 3, verse 20, it says, about halfway through 20, it says, uh, The patience of God kept waiting in the days of Noah during the construction of the ark, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the water. Corresponding to that, baptism now saves you. Not the removal of dirt from the flesh, but an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So Peter uses the flood in the ark to point to Jesus. Those, Noah and his family had to get in the ark. The ones who were in, it's not complicated, guys. The ones who were in the ark were saved from the wrath and the judgment of God. The ones who were not in the ark, even though it took 100 years to build, and even though they were constantly warned and told, get yourself in the ark, but they didn't care, right? Um, the ones who were in the ark were saved. The ark represents baptism. The ones who are in Christ, by being baptized into Christ, those are the ones who are saved. Amen? But if you're not, you're not. 
It's just the way it is. It's not comfortable. It is narrow. It's only a few. But you must repent, make Jesus Lord, and be baptized into Christ. This is what we learned from the flood. Amen? How does the flood narrative help us to know God? Sin grieves God. Sin grieves God. Its progression and result is the judgment and the wrath of God. But in His mercy, let it done in there, amen? In His mercy, God provided a way. And ultimately that way is Jesus. And through repentance and baptism into Christ, we get in the ark by the grace of God, saved from God's ju judgment and wrath. If we haven't made that decision, consider yourself warned. Study the Bible. Repent and be baptized. If you have, let's never lose the depth of the respect and awe of God's judgment and mercy. Judgment and mercy flow mingled down through Jesus and the cross. Let's continue in God's spirit of repentance and walking with God, offering ourselves as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Amen.